Stop being so easily pleased with lesser things. That's the point of the passage today. Stop being so easily pleased with lesser things. Obviously, you should take the 10 grand, or I think it's obvious. Last week, we looked at the first three verses, and it kind of unpacked for us in in a very eloquent and quick way of of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of God himself. He is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the heir of all things. He is the perfect purifier for his people. And his work is a finished work. It's not going to continue to go on. If you ever want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus, seated at the right hand of the majesty. He rules over everything. Nothing surprises him. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing happens outside of his power and outside of his knowledge. So whatever happens in the rest of this book, that's what the author of Hebrews wanted us to know right out of the gate. And I think he probably could have ended the entire book after verse 3. Because if we could grasp those truths, and live like that, our lives would be completely different. However, we have a tendency to chase Oreos. We chase after lesser things, and we forget. No, I don't think we forget. I'll be, I'm going to do a little self-editing there. I don't think we forget. I think we know that Jesus is greater. I just think that we like our Oreos an awful lot. So we pursue knowledge even theology, relationships become way too important to us. Status, influence, finances, or, or what we view as security. And so, so as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we need to hear this over and over and over again. Jesus is greater than all of those other things. And in our passage this morning, the thing that these people are being drawn towards are angels. Now that's, that's crazy, right? I mean, who, who is impressed with, with a fat little baby who shoots love arrows? See, the problem begins in our understanding of this passage is we don't have an understanding of what angels actually are. Our understanding of angels is, is severely limited, and actually, our understanding of angels is pretty much born out of cartoons, movies, television shows. I mean, come on, when you think of an angel, what comes to mind immediately? It's probably not this incredible created being of God who flashes like lightning. It's probably Tom and Jerry, because that's where most of us were introduced to angelic beings with their nice little wings and their halos. In order to understand what the author is telling us this morning, we need to understand that God's holy angels are infinitely better than what you and I think they are to be. So, so the, what the author is doing here in Hebrews, he's using this um, argument of comparison. And, and so what he's doing is he's taking Jesus and he's comparing them to angels to show us how awesome Jesus is. Now that only works if you compare Jesus to something that is already awesome. Let me give you an example. Patrick Boyd, our youth pastor, is pretty much the baller of all ballers when it comes to basketball. Amen? Sure, don't say sure. Come on, confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And you know he's good because there's a bunch of elementary kids who like to play ball on the weekends, and he goes down there and he's swatting shots. I mean, he is, it is legit. You look like superstar right there. 
But if you want to see how, how good he actually is, you put him out there on the court with LeBron James. I mean, if he shows up there, you know he's something. If you compare Jesus to something insignificant, okay, what's the comparison then? Jesus is better than Oreos. Of course he is. But you compare Jesus to something wonderful, then you get to see how amazing he actually is. So again, much of what we believe about angels is just absolute fiction. I don't want to break your heart, but I'm going to let you know, when your, when your puppy died, it did not become an angel. And don't get me started on cats. <laughs> um, most angels don't have wings or halos or play the harp. What? And that's everything we know. That's the most basic information about angels. Yeah, so we should probably look at what angels actually are, shouldn't we? Let me do a really quick run-through of what the Bible teaches about these amazing creatures. Angels. The word comes from the Hebrew malach. The Greek word is angelos, which means messenger. More than half the books in the Bible mention angels. It's 108 times in the Old Testament, 165 times in the New Testament. So they are everywhere. Angels are spiritual beings who are directly created by God. They don't come from an original pair that were created and then procreation happens and so you get more and more angels like humanity did with Adam and Eve. These are actually direct creations of God. Angels, as wonderful and magnificent as they are, they are not omniscient, they are not omnipotent, and they are not omnipresent like God is. Angels don't have physical bodies. They're almost always unseen, but they have the ability to make themselves visible, even taking on human form. There's a type of order or hierarchy or categories of angels. So you've got this one hierarchy of angels called the archangels. Two of those are mentioned in Scripture. The archangel means the chief angel, the, the top angel. The first one we hear about in Scripture is Michael. Michael is an archangel. Michael, in Daniel chapter 10, fights against the prince of Persia to release another archangel, Gabriel, who we'll talk about in a minute, from the clutches of the prince of Persia. In Jude 9, Michael fights against Satan for the body of Moses. You thought Hulda threw me last week. That whole idea of fighting for the body of Moses is mind-blowing. But you see Michael as the archangel showing up. In Revelation 12, Michael leads his heavenly angelic armies in the great battle against the dragon, which is Satan and his fallen angels. So when you hear about Michael, the archangel, what you're hearing about is the great warrior angel. The other archangel is Gabriel, and Gabriel's the one we're probably most familiar with, right? Gabriel's the one who showed up in Daniel. He also showed up in the Gospels to talk to Zechariah and say, you're going to have a son, John the Baptist, and then showed up to talk to Mary and said, you're going to have a son named Jesus. Gabriel was the chief messenger of angels. You've got categories of angels. You've got something called the cherubim. The cherubim, uh, when you study out the cherubim, it, it's, it's actually difficult because they are wild in appearance. They've got a whole mess of wings, uh, four wings, four faces. The faces make them appear like a man, like a lion, like an eagle, and like an ox. You met that person? A funky looking dude. Um, cherubim are the guardians and the protectors of the holy spaces. In Exodus, they're placed on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which is the picture of the presence of God. In Ezekiel, they're seen in the temple. In Genesis, they're actually seen in the garden. Let me 
bounce over here to Genesis. They're seen in the garden when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. The cherubim stay at the garden with the flaming rolling sword to protect the garden from people coming in. That's cherubim. Then you have seraphim. Seraphim means literally burning ones. We see them in Acts chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. The hem of his robe filled the entire temple, Isaiah says. But there they were, seraphim, standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And, and one called out to the other, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. While cherubim are in the worship spaces, the holy spaces, seraphim are the worshipers in the throne room of God, always in God's presence, leading others around them with worship, praise, adoration. God uses angels throughout Scripture to do things. God sent angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. God's angels delivered Lot and his family. God sent an angel called the angel of death to pass over the homes in Egypt, killing the firstborn. God sent an angel to lead his people uh, into the promised land. God says that very, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to send an angel. Be attentive to him and listen to him. An angel shut the mouths of lions for Daniel. An angel fed Elijah when he was hungry. An angel even opened the prison doors for the apostles when they were being persecuted. And after opening the doors to release them, I think this is awesome, the angel looked at the apostles and said, go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. The angels were cheering on the apostles in the middle of the persecution. Don't give up. You keep going and you keep preaching. Angels comforted and strengthened and served Jesus after his time in the wilderness. The angels also came alongside Jesus and strengthened him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then here in our passage today, in verse 14, they're ministering spirits to serve us. And, uh, now, the Bible isn't specific about how, it's very general, but they're here to help us. They're here to help you. But get this even though they're responsible to help you, to serve you, to minister to you, they're envious of you. First Peter tells us this. The things that have been announced to you by the prophets, through those who preach the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So here's the message of the gospel being given to you. The fact that you, as a human being, are born into sin. You, as a human being, make choices to sin. And because of your sin, you're separated from God. And the angels look down and they're like, look, humanity's over here. God's holiness is over here. Those two things will never come together. And yet God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die where you should have died. Think about this from the angels' perspectives. The angels, it says in 1 Peter 1, 12, are, are trying to get a glimpse of this message of the gospel because it is so unbelievably beautiful that God would humble himself to die for a wretched sinner like you, like me. So even though these angelic beings are wonderfully created and are meant to serve you, they're envious of you. Now, angels are not supposed to be the 
focus of our attention even in the slightest. And so I will not have done my job if you leave here with a better knowledge of angels and miss what our author here in Hebrews is doing. What our author in Hebrews is doing, just to remind you, is reminding us to stop being so easily pleased with lesser things. Because as magnificent as the angels may be, and as mind-blowing and as creatures as the angels might be, Jesus is greater. And that's what the author does. If you go back to even what we looked at last week in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, God has appointed him heir of all things, made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The very nature of who Jesus is, the very character of who Jesus is, is greater than the angels. Let's get this. Jesus created all things. You know what that means? Jesus created the angels. Angels may have clothing that is bright and white and like lightning in appearance, but not a single one of them could possibly stand and hold a candle to the radiance of God's glory that is seen in Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than the angels just by his very character. Jesus is greater than the angels by his very name. Again, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. By the very name of who Jesus is, he is so much greater than the angels. And what name is that? It's a name that's above every other name. It's son. Not one of the sons of God, as the angels are referred to, like being called one of the sons of God by creation. Not one of the children of God, as you and I in Christ are referred to by adoption. But the son of God, the eternal one, the forever one, the holy one. Jesus is greater than the angels in that. Jesus is greater than the angels in what he has done. This, this is a little confusing, so we definitely need to deal with it. Verse 4, so talking about Jesus, Jesus became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. So what do you mean he became? If Jesus is eternal, how did he become superior to the angels? So, um, Best way to describe it is this. Jesus has always been. From eternity to eternity, Jesus will always be. But our brains can't wrap our heads around this one fact. Jesus, God himself, exists outside of time. You got that figured out, right? And, and, and although he exists outside of time, in his wonderful mercy and power, he stepped into time to do something that angels couldn't possibly do. See, Jesus has always been the Son of God. But in those years that he lived the perfect life and then died for us on the cross as our substitute, as our purifier for our sins, although he has always been the Son of God, in that moment, it was revealed to us that he was also the Lamb of God. Although he has always been the author of life as the one who created all things, in that moment he became the author of salvation. And we were able to see that he is the author of salvation. So, so get this, the, the angels, 
may, may be the most amazing created thing that Jesus has ever made. And they may do a lot of things to help you and to help me. But there is no angel who has ever stepped into time to save somebody like you. No angel has ever humiliated himself. No angel has ever taken on your sin. No angel has ever hung on the cross where you should have been hanging. No angel shed his blood for you. Only Jesus Christ did that. There is no person who hung on the cross for you. There is no thing that can purchase your freedom before God. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Stop being so easily pleased with lesser things. What's the thing you tend to anchor your hope to? What's the thing in your life that you, you tend to step back and realize that, man, if I have to give everything up, that's the one thing I can't give up. You see it as more valuable than Jesus. What's the, the one person you so long to be with and loved by more than Jesus himself? No matter what your answer is, none of them have gone to the cross for you. None of them have loved you like Jesus, so stop being so easily pleased with lesser things, because Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus is worthy of worship. So much so that even the angels worship him. Look at verse 6. When he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. When you read through scripture, particularly if you read through the book of Revelation, you find over and over again the angels get overwhelmed within the presence of of Jesus, and they continue to worship him, day, worship him day, day and night, day and night, and day and night. But, but understand this for a second, please. These angels are outside the realm of salvation. They didn't experience salvation for themselves, and they can't help but worship him. How much greater should our worship be? We, we get to Revelation chapter 4, or Revelation chapter 5, and the, the, the elders, the, the creatures, the angels all fall down before Jesus Christ, and they cry out the top of the, the voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. It's an amazing worship moment, isn't it? How much greater should ours be? Because we get to fall before the same Jesus and say, no, 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 worthy is the lamb that was slain for me. For me. Oh, man, the angels worship and say, you know, you have ransomed for yourself a people, Jesus. You're amazing. We should stand before him and say, you've ransomed me. For me, you did this. He is so much greater. He's worthy of all worship from all of creation. He is so great that the Father exalts him. Look at verse 7. About the angels he says he makes his angels winds, his servants a fiery flame. But to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You've loved righteousness. You've hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. Verse 13, now to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not just ministering spirits? sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation. Listen, this, is, this can be confusing. We, we talked about this Wednesday in our staff meeting devotions. As we're walking through. It's like, man, that, that, so God is talking to God here? Yes, that's the point. 
God is talking to God here. The Father sees Jesus as worthy. He's like, those angels, they're just, there's my servants, like the wind and like fire. Like, you know, the wind blows, there goes my messengers. And the, the fire burns and goes, then, then there goes my, 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 um, my messengers. They're, they're doing their work. They're just servants. But the Son, Jesus, is different. Your throne is forever. And the right hand of the majesty on high, there is no junior position. It's not like he's JV God. The one who sits to the right hand of the Father is the one that sits with all authority in the position of power. He is God. I tried to express this last week, and I did a terrible job of it, so let me try to clarify what I was trying to say last week and see if I can't screw it up this week as well. We've got to be careful not to allow the reality of what Jesus has done for us lead us to forget how we're supposed to see him. So, uh, he is our brother. Jesus is our brother, if you're in Christ. He's our friend. Jesus is near, close to us at all times. Jesus is is that shepherd who is gentle with his people, with us, and lowly. And yeah, he, he humbled himself to serve you, to serve me. He humbled himself to go to the cross in the greatest act of love. But we must not allow what he has done to diminish who he is. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the heir of all things. The Father has said that his throne is forever. He is God. Not just my buddy who I hang out with occasionally. Not just, there was the old t-shirts back in the early 2000s, Jesus is my homeboy. No, he is God. Worthy of our worship, worthy of our honor, worthy of our respect, and we must remember that he is God. And because he is God, worship isn't optional obedience isn't optional. Man, see, that's where we fall down in this, though. I do. I love remembering that my God is gracious and merciful to me because he knows that there's no way that I can be perfect in my day-to-day activities. He knows that I'm going to be a sinner. He knows that sinners sin. He knows I'm going to fall on my face. And he's provided a way, not only through his, his blood on the cross, but then he has said to me, man, if any of you have sinned, you know, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And I tend to overemphasize that sometimes. I will admit that. The problem is we, we hear about our gentle, lowly, merciful, gracious Savior sometimes, and, and we hear Jesus say, okay, now, Frank, you're supposed to forgive people. Do not look on another woman to lust. Don't make money your identity. But too often at the end of the day when I screw that up and I'm like, oh, I sinned, but you know what? He, he's Jesus. He's got to forgive me. Right? It's true. But what are we doing? What are we, we're stomping on the grace that God has extended to us. No. Our obedience is supposed to be like the offering that we bring in our worship, the incense. As you burn the incense and the smoke rises to heaven into, and wafts into the throne room of God, it's the sweet-smelling sacrifice of our worship to God himself. To not obey is to stop worshiping him. 
Don't let what he's done for you diminish who he is. He is deserving of all of our honor. Deserving of all of our praise. Deserving of all of our worship. And most certainly deserving of all of our worship. Because he is greater. And one day. One day. Verse 10. In the beginning, Lord, you established the earth. The heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak. They will be changed like clothing. But you are the same. And your years will never end. One day. Although Jesus endures the pain, the tears, and the suffering of his people right now, there is coming a day that he'll no longer endure them. That although God is demonstrating his patience towards those of you who have rejected him around every corner and remain in your sin instead of in Christ, although there are there are days upon days that God has, has allowed you to have yet another day to repent and wash in his grace and mercy. There will be a day that he's no longer going to be patient. He's coming back. And on that day, the curtain of creation is going to be peeled away so that we can all see Jesus as he truly is. And on that day, on that day, there's going to be two groups of people. There'll be two, there'll be two groups of people. One will bow the knee in terror as they look into the flaming eyes of the God and the judge of the earth, knowing that they have rejected him. Please don't let that be you. That day is coming. I don't know when. It will surely come. And if that's you this morning and you have rejected him and you have turned your back on the offer of salvation or just put it off for yet another day, let me tell you, you don't know when God's patience runs out and it most certainly will. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you to take care of this. So as we stand at the end of our service, I'm gonna invite you back to that prayer corner and you grab one of those prayer partners and you let them know, I just need to know how to know Jesus and they will gladly introduce you. Because there is coming a day when he will return and those two groups will see him come in the clouds and one group will bow the knee because every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. But one of them is going to bow the knee and confess out of terror. But there's this other group who gets to bow the knee and confess he is Lord with incredible joy. Because in that day, our faith becomes sight. It's no longer like, I'm just going to keep going. One foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. No, no. You get to stand before him. Actually, no, you won't. You won't stand before him. You will fall on your face in adoration. And that moment will be the beginning of moments that you have waited for, that you have longed for. 
And in that moment, you'll be reunited with saints of long ago, even, even loved ones. But it won't be about the, 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 the reunion between loved ones. Because when you get there, when you get there and you walk into his presence, the loved ones who were already there before, you may run to them and be like, oh, I long to see you. They're going to be like, no, 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 look who's here. It's him. Because he is going to be the focus of our entire eternity. And we're going to enjoy his presence. And in that day, all wrongs will be made right. All tears will be wiped away. All sad things will become untrue. And we will see him eye to eye. And we will worship. We will worship before the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. We will worship at the feet of the one who willingly laid down and had his hands and feet nailed to the cross with you on his mind. He willingly laid down so that you might be at peace with God, so that God would get the greater glory. That day's coming. But believer, we don't wait for that day to be consumed with him. We don't wait for that day to finally shed behind us all the lesser things. We do that now. We worship now. Because there's only one who is worthy of our adoration and worship. And his name is Jesus. So church, stop chasing Oreos. Father, thank you for the precious gift of your son, Jesus Christ, thank you that he bought with his blood our pardon, that he ransomed us from our sin, that he has presented us before you spotless and without blemish, not because we are good people, because we are not, but because he is a good and wonderful Savior. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us understand how it is we are supposed to worship Lord, help us to set aside anything that, that, that ties us up, set aside anything that would keep us from lifting our eyes to you. And even just in for these few moments in this, this closing time together, God, I pray that our worship would be so pure, so honest, so heartfelt that it'll bring a smile to your face. God, I thank you that Jesus is greater. I thank you that every part of creation points to him. May our lives do as well. It's in his precious and holy and matchless name I pray. Amen. We're going to close our time and we're going to sing. And we're going to bring our best worship that we could possibly bring. It may not be pretty, but if it's heartfelt, it's going to put a smile on the face of our Father. Stand, worship with us.